There are two things I know about white people. They love Rachel Ray, and they are terrified of curses. Previously on The Show Show. The Show Show is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Well, cheers, my friends. I'm very happy to be on the microphones talking with you guys and talking about Frasier in just a moment. Yeah, I want to see that. That looks so good. We've got step one down. Step two is the clap. Dude, let's go get some chili from Wendy's. Oh, just take my money. Uh, We have on the offering list this, this round, we have Reacher, which was Tony. You want to tell us about Reacher? You want to reach out there and tell us about it? Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show show. I don't know that this continues, right? Like, I feel like this is is okay to be a one and done. What about the goddamn baby? Like, again, it's it's whenever they just let, let it linger forever or never, never let it pay out. Like, those are the ones that bother me. Like, or whenever it's like, oh, gosh. Okay, I see this. Oh, God. All right. Okay, yeah, here it is. Well, no, we're not. No, we're not going to let it. Okay, we're going to keep on going. Still cringy. Like, it just, like, if you just keep on going and going and going, that's the stuff that I, I can't stand. Oh, okay. I, see, now you're making me want to ch- kind of change my <laughs> my vote here. Dude, change away. Oh. Go experiment. Okay. Right. I, has not been I've too told fun. you, I'm willing to sit. I sat through fucking, what's it called? The, the, the. I'd sit down the boat one that you you always are talking about <laughs> below deck, but but that's a I've def- watched that, Siesta Keys. Oh, if I is... can get through Siesta Keys, wasn't cringe. It was just uncomfortable. Right, that's like, different. Just was like these, is different. Okay, so I want to I want to test this, and I'm going to test this with. I'm very sorry to call in from accounts. I'm going to finish you. It's going to straight up Mortal Kombat that show. A different show available on Paramount Plus. It's uh, it's a Showtime show called The Curse. I will not sit here and let you insult me. I insist you do it over drinks. <laughs> hello, hello, and you're watching The Show Show, probably the world's best TV review podcast. Warmest greetings and welcome to episode 66. Here today we review the 2023 Showtime satirical comedy thriller from the minds of Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie. I've had five beers in two hours. I can totally handle another one. This time on the show show, The Curse. I'd like to welcome you inside the broadcast booth. I'm Jay. I'm joined, as always, by my two Hall of Famers. To my left, a true artist slicing thin strips of hot takes for our listening audience. It's Aaron. Ew. And to my other left, a man who has never apologized for bullying me in college. It's Tony. Hello. And we are the Cherry Tomato Boys. Here today at the show show, 100% customer satisfaction is our holy grail. We want to hear from you. Check out our Instagram for news about the show, including our postponed 2025 tour, convention, and 
Cruise, along with plenty of other bonus content. You can find us there on Instagram at the Show Show Pod. You can send your emails to the Show Show TV Podcast at gmail.com. You can find our YouTube channel at Mandamus Radio. You can find me individually at J. Suespante. Aaron, where can we find you? The Musco vs. Adnacious Aaron. And how about you, Tony? Find me on Instagram at TPinQuite. The show show is now available everywhere podcasts are sold. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube Music, Amazon Music, Audible, CastBox, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and until that one closes down, Radio Public. You can also check out our YouTube channel where we do a bonus pre-show cocktail hour just for the YouTube stream. Before we dip into our stash of meal kit penne, we must first visit the unofficial scoreboard. This is the part of the show where we share our thoughts on other diversions not selected by the great wheel of randomonium. So what else have you been watching? Tony, what you been doing? I have not been doing much except for Play Pal World. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. If you need something to fast-forward time at an unreasonable rate to where it feels like you just stepped through a time machine, I highly recommend that. Yeah. But it only goes one way. You're going to lose time. You never get yeah, it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a time sink for sure. You said Battle World? Pal. P-A-L. Are you saying Pan or Pam? Pal. It is the controversial Pokemon survival game that has been... With guns. Twitter in a tizzy with, yeah, it's Pokemon <laughs> with guns, or as some people were saying when it was first being released, if America came up with Pokemon. <laughs> Is it like Pokemon Fortnite? So, I look look it up real fast, like, no no joke. It's, it's like Minecraft meets Pokemon. Yeah, it's a survival game, so, like, you show up in a world, you have to, like, build a hut, build items to survive with, build your axe and stuff like that, and then you catch pals which are you know basically this world's version of pokemon and there's a whole bunch there's like 143 or something like that to get started and it's a huge huge world like to go exploring but you catch them and fight them and ride them and fly on them and all that shit okay and use them for slave labor in your camp to build things (laughs) like they grow food and they make you they can make you some not quote unquote not pokeballs, but they can like build you stuff and like power balls, refine ingots into so that you craft into armor and stuff. It's like it's pretty. There's a lot of things to do. I'm not gonna say yeah. it's like oh, the wow. best version of any of the things it does, but we have a, a couple of buddies in my uh, have a server, so we, all three of us are running together, have a a guild, and so we we're using one base and building it together and running around and. We turned up the number of pals that spawn, so all the world bosses are actually like spawning as two. <laughs> so it's it's been it's been a lot a lot of fun. Nice, yeah. We turned off the egg incubation timers because that was just getting a <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. We we dropped them to like one percent of the original time, so it was like twenty seconds for an egg to hatch. But no, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a, very controversial for a lot of silly reasons. For the same reasons why. Grand Theft Auto was controversial in the 2000s. <laughs> if you have Game Pass, I don't know if you do. You know, you have an Xbox, I don't. but uh, if you wanted to try, I think it's like 30 bucks, or I guess you could try it on Game Pass for like a $10 a month thing. Like a rental yeah. almost. Interesting. 
Game Pass is worth the try, if you're, especially if you're looking for stuff to just do for fun. Hashtag non-sponsored. Because you can, any of the games that are in Game Pass, you can download and play. You can get Game Pass for your Xbox, or you can get it for your computer. And I think they have a combo one where you can do it for both. But Ooh. basically, if you see a game on there you like, you can just download it and play it while it's available on Game Pass. Well, Aaron, what have you been up to? Well, I've also been sinking a lot of time into Brook, uh, into Power World, but I've also watched <laughs> Brooklyn Nine Nine recently, and because of the passing of uh, Andre, uh, the Brown. captain, yeah, Andre Brown. But because of that, me and Chrissy also watched Glory, which was a movie that he did back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it it was essentially about an all black battalion that joined the North and uh, fought against the South in the Civil War. And of course, they like mostly died at the end. It was awful, but the performances were fantastic by everybody, absolutely everybody involved, except for, except for Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick oh, was absolutely the most boring performance I've ever seen. Like everybody else in it, Denzel Washington was so good. Morgan Freeman was so good. Like like everybody else was so good. Matthew Broderick, like absolutely cardboard. Like, I was like, how is this? Like, you have so much more capacity to act. You just came off as, like, boring. But is it Andre Brower? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. I think so. His his performance is very, very good, very emotional. Um, but it's very different than the captain in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But watch through that. And then after Brooklyn Nine-Nine, we started Tacoma FD, which has been added to Netflix. And if you've not watched Tacoma FD, high recommend. A lot of fun. It's the guys from Broken Lizard from Super Troopers and Beer Fest. And it's very funny. You mentioned about Glory. It, did did either one of you watch that movie when you were in school? I had never seen it. I have yet to see it. That's yeah, I, I've, I've never seen it either. But I've, I've heard from people who were educated outside of the great state of Texas that that was one of those kind of like in rotation movies that you would watch in school if there was you know a day with a a substitute teacher or something they would they would pop in glory well that's really surprising because of how much the n-word is used (laughs) yeah because it's definitely you know very period piece you know Mm -hmm. and it's the civil war so if they're playing that one Again, I remember reading Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, which, you know, also period right. pieces. So, yeah. one of the characters' name. What about in where Jim offends you? Yeah, no, I will never forget having like having a class where we read that out loud and and like it just was very uncomfortable like for a bunch of teenagers in white suburbia in Texas to be reading Huckleberry Finn out loud. That's a choice. Wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, I couldn't believe the teacher was like reading it. I was like, "Why are we doing this?" <laughs> I read the book, but we didn't have to read it out loud. There oh, definitely no. yeah. was one day where, where like we were in the class, <laughs> like Shakespeare. Yeah, uh, Huckleberry Finn. No, <laughs> I bite my tu- I bite my thumb at you, sir. I remember there being a discussion about the difficulty in writing in the vernacular of a specific time period. And that was why we were reading Huckleberry Finn. So, I don't know. They probably have banned all those books out of school at this point. I feel like there has been a, a great purge in the Texas school system. So, Yeah, probably. 
but anyways outside of that uh yeah that's all on my list is is that okay so what about you jay have you been up to anything else i've been able to watch a couple of things uh one was a show that came out on max called bookie and this was a show that got a lot of press because it was produced by chuck Lorre, who made two and a half men uh, along with a whole slew of other famous sitcoms uh, like Big Bang Theory, Darman Gregg, Mike and Molly. He's done a ton, but this one was notable because it was going to be his first collaboration with Charlie Sheen after the whole Tiger Blood winning thing went down. And that part of it didn't really pay off because it, from the way that it sounded like in the press, Charlie Sheen was going to be a centerpiece, and he's really only in two scenes in the whole season. But the show itself is actually pretty great, really enjoyable. It's got a lot of fun side characters and and guest stars like Rob Corddry's in it. Toby Huss is in it. The guy from Lost, Hurley, uh, he's in it. Oh, nice. So, Bookie, you know, a lot of fun, quick eight episodes of comedy. We're discussing... Today, The Curse, which I think is one of the darkest comedies there is. So to, to keep in that line, I enjoyed a, a movie from 2010 called Four Lions. Oh. It's a British movie. It's written by the two guys who created Peep Show, and it's directed by... Uh, if you remember Denim Renum from the first season of IT Crowd. I like do. The, the nutso boss who jumps out the window. Uh, it's directed by him. It stars Riz Ahmed. And it tells the story of four uh, homegrown terrorists in the UK. Oh. And very you know serious subject matter. But it's a black comedy. It's absolutely hilarious. If you've, if you've seen floating around TikTok or, or Instagram... A, uh, a clip of four guys jamming in a car listening to Dancing in the Moonlight, and there's one guy who's just glaring at the others. That's what that's from. But, uh, Very nice. Yeah. Four lines. Check it out. I, I forgot that I did watch the Godzilla Zero uh, Minus oh, One. Oh, yeah. Minus One, yeah. Yeah. And Ooh, was how also, was that? Well, we saw the Minus One Minus Color, so it was actually in black and white, which in, at first I was like, hmm. I don't know how I feel about this, but it actually, in my opinion, actually made it more immersive. It's a redo of the 1945 era or 1953 Godzilla and a reimagining of it, but done in modern style. And it is so good. It's it's excellent. High, highly recommend. But the black and white kind of added something to it. It made it a little bit more like I was felt like I was back in 1945 for some reason. So it's it's worth it to to check out if you get a chance. Did you see it in the theater? Yeah, we went to the XD Ooh. theater and it was oh nice. It was good. It was it was very intense too. It was fun, but it's it's definitely. I I would say it's still it's a, got a little bit of hokiness, but maybe the black and white also kind of adds to that. But the subject matter also is pretty pretty heavy because it's a lot of destruction, hmm. and it's also post World War Two Japan. You know, so that's also pretty pretty rough area. Well, you guys ready to get into the curse? Let's do it. Yes, sir, tell us about it. All right, well, hold on tight. <laughs> <laughs> the Curse is a 2023 Showtime show. It follows newlyweds Whitney and Asher Siegel 
as they flip their hometown upside down and produce an HGTV series in Española, New Mexico. Uh, Now, outwardly, publicly, Whitney and Asher present themselves as environmentalists and do-gooders aiming to build climate-friendly homes while taking care of the marginalized people who are evicted from the existing properties. But we learn almost immediately that they have motives that are not so pure as they're buying up properties and they're hoping that the show Flipanthropy, Fliplanthropy, yeah, it's a good thing they changed that. Yep. <laughs> Fliplanthropy, uh, they're, they're hoping it's going to drive up the real estate prices and they'll be able to turn a massive profit. Uh, meanwhile, one-man production crew Dougie sows discord as he tries to make the show more real housewives and less this old house. Uh, now, Asher is cursed in the first episode after he tries to take money back from a seemingly unhoused child. Uh, Whitney and Dougie are cursed in their own ways and deal with their own demons as well. Uh, the finale makes a sudden departure from the previous episodes and dips into some Absolutely fabulous surrealism. And I do want to get into the finale, uh, but first I wanted to talk about the characters. Because mm-hmm. this show is very much more of a, a character-driven show than a plot-driven show. Yes. We've got Whitney, our self-described green queen. Uh, she is a... A rich girl, uh, I think you might say what they used to say about George W. Bush, that she was born on third base and thought she hit a triple. She's got parents who are described as slumlords, and she is seeking to build these passive houses, these houses that do not need air conditioning or heating. Uh, They're described as like a thermos. Mm. We've got her newlywed husband, Asher, he's played by Nathan Fielder, one of the favorites of the show show. Uh, Whitney's played by the great Emma Stone, by the way. Um, Asher is a little bit of the kind of the money man of the operation that he he kind of makes the deals work. He gets the paperwork drawn up and signed. Uh, he's always the one running the numbers. Then we have Dougie. Dougie is Asher's friend from college who is a filmmaker who has made some kind of outrageous (laughs) television shows of his own in the past and is now helping them to make flip and flip was it flip lanthropy it's like philanthropy but flip lanthropy (laughs) yeah it just they don't go together well it's very it's very hard to say no the l after the p is uh that one's a hard one yeah so this show i think suffers from Maybe you might call it succession disease, where no one is likable. No, no mm. one is likable. I'm not rooting for anyone in the show. I was happy to see Patty Mayonnaise after so many years. <laughs> Patty Mayonnaise? What? Her mom. <laughs> you didn't recognize that voice immediately? Oh my gosh, that is that is exactly... I just blew your mind. You did blow my mind, because now thinking back, <laughs> I can hear I can hear it. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I, I definitely watched Doug. Do, 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 do. Yeah, so moved out of Bluffington to New Mexico, became slumlords, her and Doug. <sighs> Seems reasonable. <laughs> like, was that Doug? Was was Corbin Burnson just Doug? 
Yeah, he's with Patty, so he has to be. Maybe he was Roger Clots. Oh, no. <laughs> no, Roger lives in the slums with him, so. Oh, no. For six days a year. Yeah, well, I will say that they are, all of them are caricatures or archetypes that are supposed to be, I guess, portraying certain aspects. Because I feel like the show very much is a critique, a cultural critique on a lot of things in our society. Whether that be like white saviorism, whether it be reality television, whether it be, you know, what what is done to make reality television. So like the behind the scenes, wealth, art, all these different things. But the characters are vehicles for that. And because of that, none of them are really likable. I don't know. None. <laughs> there is one lovable character. Oh, yeah. Kara's friend. Kara's friend. Kara's friend who went to lunch and then the party. Oh, the guy who, like, was saying oh, the prayer for his yeah. burrito. The burrito guy? Yeah. <laughs> Loved him. That guy was awesome. <laughs> yeah, he was great. I was really surprised how human and how kind of likable that they made Whitney's parents. Yes. Because we're told that they're slumlords. We're shown even one of their slum tenements. But... In our our short interactions with them, we see them as being kind of controlling and selfish, but not really cartoonishly so. Well, even the situation where she's like bitching about them kicking someone out, like when you hear what the person did, like, yeah. I don't think they were being unreasonable, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the way it's described is kind of like we had to, like we already replaced it once and then he did it again, like we had to evict him. So I feel like they, they did a really good job of kind of making it to where uh, I hated Whitney. Like, I absolutely hated mm. her so much and and did a fantastic job of portraying some of the big problems with, like, paying for all the stuff that's getting stolen from the, the jean store, right? Mm -hmm. And not wanting to call the cops because you don't want to cause a problem where the cops are arresting people. But if you, you're inviting crime into the situation because you're not enforcing the law. Pour a bit of gas and step in her thighs and can't go back to jail for that. So it's, it's a great commentary on unintended consequences, I feel, also. Oh, usually. Her parents were kind of like that. Was it like Mark Rose or something like that? Dean Kane, Where he was exactly what she wanted the whole time. And she was kind of pissed off about it for a homeowner for her house. Yeah. Just because he had a, a Blue Lives Matter sticker on his truck. But then he turned out to be, in that personal interaction, a totally nice guy. But she still was pissed afterwards. Well, yeah, he like cared about all the things that yeah. she wanted him to care about. But yeah. she was still a, an absolute bitch to Asher <laughs> afterwards. Yes. Everybody sucked. Yeah, everybody sucked. But like even... Ugh, there, there were so many scenes. I will say there were two laugh-out-loud scenes. I didn't laugh a whole lot through this show but there were two where i i lost it laughing and one of them was the very beginning like right after like putting the menthol in the old lady's eye and then it jumping to like at giving somebody a house and they're like thank you for the house and it's like so boring <laughs> like yeah. they have no emotion whatsoever i i definitely lost it laughing there um the other one though was at the comedy class whenever they're saying make a face <laughs> Next. And, and everybody's <laughs> going around and silently making a face. 
and there's a chuckle at every single one and then it gets to nathan fielder and his he, he does a ridiculous face and noises and no one laughs and i lost it i i died laughing like that got me like i was not expecting him to make a noise i don't know why but like it was like it was such a funny sequence and then again the next person like ha, ha, ha. Yeah, like it was so good <laughs> But a lot of the scenes, uh, I just, I very hard cringed through a lot of sequences. <laughs> it was hard. I was thankful. I didn't like Asher, but I, I was like, I, we finally got some release when he just became a punching bag. Like everyone was teaming up against him in his life. And like, I, it felt like before that, nothing was happening. And I was like, thankful for something to finally like, I didn't want him to get to be the punching bag of everyone, but I was glad something was happening to somebody i thought he was gonna get revenge but uh, before that like the first four episodes it was like kind of like that first season of succession where it's just like there was never the comeuppance part of it and that's hard to do i got a huge kick out of the the scene where he's in the casino and he's trying to stall with his friend and he's having to pour the gatorade on his back (laughs) like that felt straight out of nathan for you yeah, no, that sequence of him in in the room with the water and like he's taking all of his clothes off, like that <laughs> felt very much Nathan for you, like a ridiculous situation. And the person's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> like though that that was that was funny. Like it was uncomfortable, but it was funny. But like I have to say this, probably the best performance, like hands down, there is no performance in this entire show better than this, was the music. Like, the music in this show was a character all its own. It carried so many sequences, so many scenes. The feeling, the emotion, the intensity, absolutely masterful. Like, I cannot rave about how good the soundtrack was to The Curse for eliciting every single feeling that they wanted you to feel. Yeah, 100% agree. Have either one of you seen Uncut Gems? Uncut Gems. Right. I have not. No. Well, you should, especially if you liked this show. It was written and directed by Benny Safdie, by by Dougie, along with his brother Josh Safdie. And it's a fantastic movie, and they've got the same composer doing the music, and the music is it's very similar and like in the same way sets this like horror tone. Even when what's going on isn't necessarily a horror scenario, it, it kind of it gets you in that frame of mind, and it was excellent. I feel like music is one of the few areas where today you can really make a standout performance. Like, all special effects are available to everybody these days, right? There's not a whole lot of options that are to really be different, but I feel like with music, with soundtracks, like that is where you can really give a lot of flavor and accent to your your film or to your show. It's so important. Yeah. I felt like I wasn't smart smart enough for this show <laughs> while watching it. <laughs> Why do you say that? I was like, I feel like it's saying something that I don't like there's some deeper meaning that I just like I'm not I'm too superficial to understand. Like at one point I was thinking like I thought this was all gonna be a I thought we were gonna get to the end and it was all gonna be uh not a flashback, but like this was a reenactment of what happened. Like we were going to meet the real Asher and Whitney and they were going to find out that like this was a series or a movie of what went on behind the scenes of the show. And like Emma Stone was in it, like literally playing the character. 
like Emma Stone herself was in the movie. We're on a show within a show. My real name is Tracy Morgan. And Nathan Fielder was playing the husband or something too. But I, I, I felt like the series was like doing what the show was doing almost. Because like what is at one point they're like we need conflict and then the conflict in the background start happening and they're like oh the studio like we need to cut the studios don't want to show as much of the community and the dangers of the community and like the show itself stops showing that as much too and they're like oh the show wants y'all to get back together or never break up and then the sh- then the show itself like the curse had that happen too it's almost like am i watching like a meta show inside of the show and then i'm like i'm not smart enough to figure this out and then definitely the finale i'm like i'm definitely not smart enough to understand this well <laughs> is it i mean i i saw some people refer to it as like nathan fielder's expertise is kind of poking fun at reality and so in, in a sense the the show is an unreality show even with the ending like going into the surrealism i feel like like you could take it as just a critique of wealth and i don't think that that's really right i think it's more like a critique of the seeking of fame and of reality shows and how they're not real right how not real they really are and and so in a lot of ways like what you're saying Whenever Dougie was like, hey, we need to make some conflict, the conflict started becoming real for Whitney because that's what she was like prepared to do for the show, to make it happen, to be famous. And then whenever they were like, hey, that needs to we need to go in reverse, you'll notice like the episode where she's like, let's go bowling. Right? She flips the script. She goes from like completely cold shoulder, not really wanting to give any type of attention to him, to Asher. To like, hey, warm, fuzzy, let's go bowling. And it's all because in the, the pursuit of fame, of fortune. I, I don't know. To me, I feel like that's that's the biggest critique of the show is kind of the unreality of of a lot of what we consider entertainment. Yeah, definitely. And to to kind of tie both of those together, I think that this show makes a ton of style choices to blend reality with scripted television you know like there was one bit that really stuck out in my mind and i hope it stuck out in yours where we're watching a discussion where they're on the set at one of the houses between dougie asher and whitney but the camera is inside of the neighbor's house watching them through the window and the neighbor is in the frame at the bottom of the frame looking directly into the camera yeah there's a lot of every sort of panning scene is like you're behind something like something always like the camera moves behind something as they track the person like even Benny or even Dougie swimming in the pool like it goes behind something like like a beach chair or something. I don't know. Like, I feel like almost every panning shot was like there was an obstruction. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like Evil Dead camera work like going through the woods and, and it added to the kind of, it's not really horror, but the intensity feeling of some of the sequences, it was very voyeuristic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, at, like you're saying the blending between the reality show versus a constructed filmed program. And, and again, I think that like the first, first episode or maybe second episode where they're running around asking everybody if they're recording. Right. Like, to some extent, they can't tell when things are being recorded and when they're not. I, I think that you're supposed to kind of be immersed in it in that way. And in, and again, like I said, as a, as a piece of art, as a, a artwork, 
I feel like this is is does a great job at what it's trying to do. I like how the show was like letterboxed, and then every time they showed a clip from the green green queen or flipanthropy, it was all like full screen and super mm-hmm. bright. So I feel like that transition made it like it felt like I was watching an HGTV Go show or something. I think they they made a a really smart, a really great choice in setting the show in a real town and also filming it there. Yeah. Because I think the three of us, we've all spent a pretty significant amount of time in New Mexico. And, like, that's what New Mexico's like. For better, for worse. Yeah. That's that's it. Agreed. And the a huge theme of the show was that juxtaposition between, like, this kind of gritty reality and then that that brightly lit hgtv t hgtv show i'm not gonna lie the house has kind of looked cool <laughs> copycat copycat yeah no it my thing is that i i looked at him and i was like i feel like there's gonna be a lot of heat around the house like because it's reflective like i feel like if you're standing near it you're gonna get sunburn <laughs> yeah i hope the roofs weren't reflective and then the airplanes flying over are gonna be like ah yeah, like what happens if you're driving around and you're like, you crash your car because you get blinded by light reflected off of the house. <laughs> so, in the finale, uh, in one of the the opening scenes, we see some some tradesmen installing an air conditioning system in Whitney's and Hasher's house because Whitney's finally gotten pregnant. They're expecting the baby. But they want the baby's room to be climate controlled in complete contravention of what everything that Whitney's done up until, until then. Mm-hmm. And my lady and wife and I were talking about this, where they they make mention that they're doing this because of they say something about last summer was brutal. We're not gonna gamble Risky. with the kid's life. And actually, they use that phrase with his life. And so I turned to to Lindsay and I said. Like, how hot would it have to be for you to say that this is endangering the life of the child? And we were like, like, we, it would have to be like 85, 90 consistently in that house for you to even for you to be thinking that. So I, I think that that's what they're they're kind of telling us here is that the passive houses, at least the ones that Asher and, and Whitney have built, they don't really work if you've got an 85 90 degree house consistently through the summer oh they said it top out at 78 or something like that they said that that's what they promised but did they deliver it well and i thought that didn't they say it took like six hours for yeah for it to like cool yeah. down so like mm-hmm. even and that was like every time you open the door mm-hmm. okay they don't have a dog but like i have a dog and i have to take him out every so many hours they're like you never you never would ever cool down I'm not a an, an expert in this whatsoever, but apparently the the Pueblo construction with the adobe that indigenous people have been doing for thousands of years in this area that's essentially it's the essentially the same idea of a passive house where you have very thick walls that absorb the the sun throughout the day in a climate where it's it's sunny most of the day and then cold at night. So you let the the building absorb that heat and then that heat warms it throughout the night once the temperature drops, and then by morning it's cooled off again, and the the cycle kind of repeats. So it that kind of plays into the theme that we saw of Whitney and Asher 
bringing solutions to things that either don't need them or just make them worse. It feels very much like a gimmick just to get HGTV on board, right? Like they don't really care. And they have, they do all this shit to make it like seem like people are really excited about it. Like, the, you know, the whole bit with the couple that don't live there. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what Dougie said, like they, we, we didn't even like sell the actual houses. We just faked it mm -hmm. because people just want content. Right. But I also feel like the whole, like not even getting on real TV, getting on like the internet only version of HGTV. That also was kind of a blow to their egos. The yeah. show is very much about their egos, right? Being protected or whatever, you know, Emma Stone constantly searching her name. Yeah. On Google. Like Whitney, she's not a, she's not a property developer or even an interior designer. She's an artist. Yeah. Oh, that was an uncomfortable sequence where she was making the other lady, uh, Kara, mm -hmm. say the nice things about her art. Yeah. It just was scummy. It just felt very scummy. I felt so bad for her. Yeah, Kara, Kara, however you say your name. She took the 20K, though. Just saying, like... Uh, I don't feel like she had a choice. I feel like it was just, like, preying on... Like, she needed the money, obviously. She had to go back to being a masseuse. I don't know, I felt like... This show did a good job, because I'm like... I feel bad, but it's like... Does me feeling bad make me... You felt something? Like, good or bad? If I feel bad, am I a good person or am I a bad person? Because... It's like... Am I just like them? Like, I don't know. Like, am I trying to, like, white savior stuff by, like, saying, oh, I would never do that? I don't know. I think that's, like, white guilt, yeah. right? Like, that's the the question. And I feel like this, this show kind of wrestled with that a lot. I feel like it was great because it, it kind of points out how a lot of things that white guilt leads to is not helpful. It's mm -hmm. not actually helpful. It's not actually addressing the problems. It's sometimes exacerbating them. And so I think that it, it it's it's good for there to be this kind of critique out there in the conversation. I think the the bulk of the criticism here is for the the performative aspect of what Whitney and Asher are doing. Like I, I think maybe that's a a distinction that you can draw between you and them is that you know you have the opportunity to take your guilt and do something construction constructive with it while they're taking it and exploiting it yeah i feel like it's kind of a commentary on like what do you really believe in i really do think in the beginning before there was before it got hard they actually did or they told themselves they thought about those things but once they actually needed money they're like well compromise yeah we'll just charge uh, like oh we're not gonna sell this house compromise like oh this show's not gonna get picked up compromise like they like compromise themselves all the way down whereas i think they started from like, i guess the road to hell is paved with good intentions or whatever well but at the same time i think that that gets back to you're you're protecting an image as much as you can the thing that i took away from it is like whitney felt guilty about bad things happening in low-income areas so she pays for stuff being stolen from the i don't know if it's a thrift shop or what like that, that to me is like, oh, I'm helping, but I'm not, it's not really helping. And I feel like that is kind of a, a critique of a bigger issue that's happening in America with like white people getting offended on behalf of other people on certain things. Like that's a big discussion point right now in our country. She got more upset about stuff than the people who lived in the community. 
and and that's where I don't, I don't remember his name, but the guy who they hire to, Fernando. to protect Fernando, like he shows up and you're like, you're inviting cancer into this community, right? It's it, it, you're not really helping by what you're doing, and I think it's something that is a bigger conversation about gentrification and things like that and white guilt that the show does a really good job of kind of demonstrating how they can lead to the opposite of whatever the intention is. Like you said, the the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Here's a question. How are they going to get $850,000, even for a souped-up house like that, in a town of 10000 in New Mexico? Like, <laughs> how did they get Dean Cain to pay for that? He was an off-the-grid guy. Like, yeah, you know, there's just no way he, anybody he, would pay, pay that, that amount that of money. That guy would pay for that. Because he he knows that it's sustainable, but he's he's the weirdo like off the grid kind of guy. Whereas most people, you're right. I think it's going to have to be, oh, it's hip. It's this hip neighborhood. I want to move there. I have extra income. Let me buy a passive home that's not going to be open six months a year. <laughs> well, this this is a town that's it's 45 minutes outside of Santa Fe. It's like a bit halfway between Santa Fe and Taos which is the the ritzy ski resort where the rich people from Santa Fe go. And Santa Fe is kind of this little world unto itself, if you've ever been there. It is. It's fantastic, but it is a little world to itself. Like, it, yeah, it's a, totally agree. It, it's fantastic, but it's it's a little bit of a bubble. And part of that is that it's just, it's a magnet for very wealthy people in a state that doesn't have a lot of very very wealthy people outside of that. And there's a ton of artists in that yeah. area, too. So I think if you were, you know, I, I think if you were aiming to do what Asher and Whitney were trying to do here, you know, not the craziest idea. I think it it's also supposed to evoke a little bit of a Chip and Joanna Gaines with Waco. It's pronounced Waco. Where it's halfway between Dallas and Austin. It's a little bit forgotten. And with a little bit of media attention and some flipped houses, you can totally change the narrative. Because, I mean, Aaron and I were in Waco in the early aughts, and it was a completely different town than it is now. Yeah, no, it was much sleepier, and it was a lot easier to get through the fast food. (laughs) (laughs) That would be like, I felt like, did Chip and Joanna personally offend as one of the show's writers or something i feel like the, like it was some targeted stuff <laughs> like this whole show like is this stuff happening in the background of that show maybe they had a bad deal one time <laughs> i definitely feel like they're going to make a loop around waco next like they're just going to extend the loop around austin all the way up to Hillsborough to skip all that shit i've mm. got to but i think we've got to talk about the finale yes so we, we normally do not give any shits about spoilers. A lot of times the shows we're reviewing are years and years old. But a uh, quick caveat here. This is a show that just came out. We're going to talk about the ending right now. And the ending is quite special. So if you haven't seen or heard about the ending, I don't know, skip ahead like 15 minutes or something. But I don't even know where to start here. Rachel Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I'll let y'all talk because I have no idea what was going on. In this finale. I was so confused the whole time. I will say that it takes a very hard surrealist turn. But like leading up to that. Like we've we've jumped forward in time. Whitney is very pregnant. And they we get this little glimpse into their life through Rachel Ray. And it's weird. It's very surreal from the get go. 
because they're like the side guest, just like their shows on mm. the the online version of HGTV. And it's one of the Sopranos, like wise guys who has written a cookbook and it's all about him. And so like a lot of what we're seeing is really interactions between Rachel and him. And there's this little kind of conversation with, with Asher and Whitney, but then it kind of like goes back to the Sopranos guy and it's long. Right. And they just have to sit there and wait. And, and to me that right off the bat kind of set a very different tone for this episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just it, it, right off the bat, then they are like very different than they were on camera. Mm-hmm. Right. Asher's happy earlier when we saw them going through the, the Shabbat rituals earlier in the series, it was almost like he was just going through the motions. He was trying to get it done as quickly as possible. He had no feeling in it. But now he's he's singing the song with some melody. He's really like pouring meaning into the words. Where previously it was almost like Whitney was much more interested in the Judaism than Asher was. Yeah. We also have the whole sequence with them giving the house to Absher. Yes. Very important. Oh my god, that broke my heart. Yeah. That's that situation was so uncomfortable and weird because Number one, it's it's Asher's gift to Whitney, and it's in and of itself kind of a weird thing to do. But number two, like how, same like at the beginning of the, the show, how like he's just like, all right, how long is it going to take for this? Like it was just about how is this going to, how, how is this going to work? There was no real thanks, right? Like it, it was also the people who, who get this stuff or were portrayed very thankless. Mm-hmm. Okay, am I crazy? Is the dude that was in the background of that scene the dude that made them mad in the nursery? Was that not, was that not the same dude? Or was it just another guy with long, grayish hair? It was a split second when he walked behind Absher. Oh, and then, no, different and guy. It, it was different a different guy? guy? Uh, it looked yeah, different very guy. similar. I was like, is this dude? I thought something <laughs> big was going to happen. I was like, oh. No, they had very different beards. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, because the, the guy in Absher's house, he almost had like a mustache that was like covering the whole lower half of his face. While the the guy in you mean the the guy in, in uh, Asher and Whitney's house who was like I'm going to tell everybody it's a boy yeah he's like I've told everybody <laughs> yeah no different guy he had this like kind of he had more of like this like woolly beard okay no, two different guys well who did, who did you think the guy in Absher's house was I don't know I thought I was going to be surprised or something like there was something deeper <laughs> going on behind the scenes but Whitney's face through that whole sequence she just looked kind of blase or bleh. Like, not not interested, not into it. I don't know. There's a lot of sequences, like, after the scene where they show Asher the cut of the Green Queen where she basically rips him. I don't know. I, I very much, I watched the thing and they kind of tied the ending to, to this one moment. And I think that this is interesting thought. Where Asher, like, says that he's all in on Whitney after she basically shit all over him. And he says, if I thought that you wanted me gone, I'd be gone in an instant. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in that sequence where he's really excited about the prayer and singing and all that, and she completely seems disinterested, like the scene after, what's it called, Rachel Ray, where she seemed like she was just pissed that Rachel Ray didn't say anything about the baby, mm-hmm. right? Like, the baby was more of a prop because it looked good for HGTV. Like, it just seemed like she was no longer interested in Asher at all. So, is the ending kind of fulfilling that last statement by... Asher where you know he 
she doesn't really really want him there anymore and so he's gone yeah i see that i i also see asher as being representative of the people who are being gentrified out of espanola that they at first act like they care about these people hey we're going to pay your rent for or we're going to subsidize your rent for six months but then after that who cares about you and in the first episode there's a discussion of winners and losers and asher tries to say it doesn't have to be like that but in the end it does whitney's the winner and he's the loser and he's out Mm -hmm. i feel like she tried to save him by showing him that stuff like she kind of tried to set him free from the situation, like hoping he would leave, and he just didn't do it. And I was like, I was so disappointed in him. Yeah, but he has some weird fetishes. He definitely <laughs> does. So, no, no, no hate. Like anybody, we do their things, but like there was definitely a plot point where, you know, we're uncomfortably listening to him masturbate about. <laughs> disgracing what's his face at the, the bill grocery store bill my house was too loud at the time i had to turn i was like what i hear someone talking about him. so i had to turn on subtitles and i was i don't know if i was happy i turned on subtitles or what <laughs> yes some of the most awkward sex scenes i've seen in a while were in this show why did dougie hate asher so much i don't because i don't get it it didn't feel like it was just for the show I mean, I, I feel like it has to go goes back to him losing his wife, right? Asher had a wife, had a potential for a family, and in the same way, like Dougie just kind of was a vindictive, shitty person. Yeah, like Dougie was incapable of taking responsibility for his own actions. Like his whole thing with with the with the breathalyzer. Oh my god! Like so so funny but so so very terrible and scary like the way that he he gets in the car and starts driving and then blows into the breathalyzer yeah that was super uncomfortable the first time with the girl oh yeah especially the way that he's saying oh you wouldn't think i would do that again would you oh how could you put that on a person yeah no he he definitely was a horrible manipulator yeah I really enjoyed when when the date called him out about his wife's death and Dougie yeah. is trying to say, freak accident, freak accident. She says, well, if you were sober, would you have been able to avoid the freak accident? And it's almost like that that had never even occurred to him. He's just like, oh, maybe. I thought it was kind of sad because he's like, actually, I think about it all the time. It's kind of all I think about. I thought that's why he was all depressed all the time because he knows it's his fault, Like even though he asks, acts like it's not. I think that's a fair interpretation. Because I, I felt like the show was showing us that some of the curses within the show were real. Like, I think the curses on Asher end, ended up being real. But Dougie imagined himself as cursed, when in reality, it was all just his own choices. I don't know that we we necessarily know curses are real, even with the ending. Like... The ending is weird, but the, who who cursed him to fly fly out away, right? Do you right. think Dougie did? I kind of felt like because he, he curses, like I wonder if he's like, I wish you. I wonder if he like I wish you fly into the sky or fly away or something like that. We should just get out of here, man. Yeah, 
I kind of felt that's kind of how I felt because like his reaction. It's a real delayed like yeah effect though, right? He curses him on a random night, and a year later, the day of his child's birth, he floats away. Like that that feels like you have to specifically say, "I hope you never see the birth of your son and float away into the sky." Yeah. Like it's a very specific curse. <laughs> Who do you think put the chicken in the bathroom? <laughs> I love that they didn't answer that. Well, who yeah. was that random girl in the fire station? Is like an assistant? Yeah, I think she was like a production assistant. That's what makes the most sense. Not that he, not that Dougie handed her anything, but that maybe he told her to do that or something beforehand. It could be a coincidence. You know, p- people know firefighters to be kind of like boys clubby, and you could see them pulling dumb pranks on each other sitting around the firehouse. I agree with this statement. There were there were actually a, a, quite a lot of theories going into the finale that there was going to be something involving fire. That especially that, like the the passive homes were gonna catch fire, catch fire, and like people were gonna be trapped because of the way that they were constructed. Or when they talk about the firehouse, there, there's something about oh hey we did some upgrades onto the 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 fire systems at the firehouse but they didn't work so like the you know the fire department wasn't going to be able to respond because whatever Asher and Whitney did Ooh, had good. hobbled the fire department and then they just went in a completely different direction I feel like this would have been a hard show to land though I feel like taking the surrealist route like it allows them to leave interpretation up to the the audience it also kind of diverts from a lot of the like what like actual I don't want to say like actual directions, but like a season two or anything like that. That there's no there's no real reason to do a season two of the curse, in my opinion. Oh no way! Right. So like to me, it just kind of gave it a a hard ending, right? And it left it up to the viewer to be like, "Well, what the fuck did I just watch?" <laughs> I just I know I'm not smart enough to interpret what like I'm not saying it's not artistic and it probably means something, but like my initial reaction after I finished it, I was like. They had no idea how to bring this home, how to bring this home. And they're like, (laughs) they just like, fuck it. We're punting this thing into outer space, literally. And that's its own thing. Like, I mean, that's one way to do it. Like you said, like, you don't ever have to come back from it. And you can say it's, I mean, I'm sure there is actually meaning to everything that happened. And like his floating up into the ceiling in the sky means like it's representative of something. But it's like English class. It's like. It's whatever you want it to be, and I'm not smart enough to want it to be anything. I really felt like it was going to be like he died the moment that the baby was born. Like it was going to be like some type of weird reincarnation-like story, mm-hmm. and it was going to be like him opening the eyes of the baby, and it's like his wife is now his mother or some weird shit like that. Like I, I, I was like, it's so radical and weird of him flying up into the fetal position into outer space. That I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I've I've got no good theories on like why he flew into outer space, but the the more that I digested it, the more that I felt like it really served the themes of the show, in that it allowed for multiple different characters, ev- really everybody we've seen throughout the show, try to help Asher in the way that they think he needs to be helped. And it it just keeps ending up making it worse for him, which is what we saw throughout the show. That when you 
when you help and you force what you believe the help should be on a person, it often ends up having an, a detrimental effect. The opposite effect. Yeah. Asher, he's telling the firefighters, you need to get a, a net over me. You need to winch it to the truck. You need to get it down. And the firefighters are so focused on, well, he's babbling nonsense. He's obviously on something and we just need to get him down. They're not, they're not really, they're not listening to him, even though he's telling him exactly what he needs. Yeah. That is such a scary, such a scary situation because like he couldn't, like you can't prove it because you don't know when it's going to turn off. So like he could have easily proved it by shimming to the underside of the branch and then just like standing up on his feet fully upside down. And then everyone would know, Oh my God. But like, you don't know when it's going to turn off and he's going to fall and break his neck. Like, that's the scariest part is like you can't trust it to stay that way either to like help yourself even more. Mm-hmm. But all he had to do was hold on that. That tree branch was way heavier than him. He could have rolled it all the way down. <laughs> I like your interpretation that he represents either the like businesses that are coming in for gentrification and then gone like as soon as they can be. Like there was a lot of, I guess, effort by Dougie to kind of be like, oh, he's just afraid of being a father, you know, undermining the seriousness of the situation that he was in. And again, Dougie made it all about him. I didn't mean to do this. Classic Dougie. Yeah, but I don't know. I I still feel like there's there's an element of, of Whitney didn't really want this life, right, that she was signed up for. And... Weirdly, this this is Asher fulfilling his promise to Whitney at the same time. Yeah. Well, this show definitely makes you think about a lot of things. I don't. I can't really remember a show that made me chew on it so much after it ended. You, we could have had some kind of slapstick ending, or maybe not even slapstick, but like you, you could have had a different ending where the whole town burns down, and you know Whitney and Asher run out of town with torches and pitchforks, but. I wouldn't still be thinking about it now. Like this, this show grabbed me. I think going the surrealist route was the better route. I don't feel that any other ending really would have satisfied. Mm-hmm. The ending was definitely feeling kind of gone girly there for a while with her having the baby and stuff like that. I guess she was the one that was kind of trapped in this, the situation though. Kind of like, I don't know if y'all have seen that book that read the book or seen the movie. Uh, I have not. Well, spoiler alert then, I guess. I'm not going to watch it, so you can go ahead and spoil. Well, like the main character, the like the woman of the story is like, well, they're both kind of crazy, but her and her husband, like she fakes her own death basically and frames him for her murder. And then he kind of like is trying to solve it himself. But anyway, he like ends up like going on television to say that he loves her and she just wants the fame and notoriety. And she, like, basically baby traps him. Like, she has, like, saved his sperm in a freezer or something on her own and impregnates herself and basically, like, blackmails with me. He's like, if you leave me, you're going to – I'm going to get the child and your child is going to have to live with me without you. Like, so she, like, traps him. Not that he's a good person, but, like, traps him with her so that his child doesn't grow up with, like, an insane person, basically. Sounds awful. (laughs) Well, some have interpreted the ending as 
it's Asher's unaliving himself. That kind of what you were saying about it, it wasn't the life that Whitney wanted. This interpretation says that this is not the life that, that Asher wanted. And he finally collapses under the pressure of having the baby with Whitney. And I personally don't really like that interpretation. I thought that Asher was was genuinely excited to be a father. I was curious to see if that that's how you guys read it. Yeah, I I don't see that. I saw like the very ending episode. He's all in. Yeah, I felt that's what he thought. But I honestly thought when it was panning up from her in bed, he was going to be hanging from the ceiling, like he hung himself. Oh, so I still yeah. thought, I still thought, like, yeah, he really wanted a child and was all in. But then I, I was pretty sure when it kept panning up, I'm like, he's hanging from a bed sheet from the rafters or something. Yeah. Especially because we, we see him once, we come back down, and then we go back up again. Like, once we, when we, when we go back up again and he's still on the ceiling, like, I got chills. Like, that was a, like a, you know, sit up and pay attention moment. I thought he was having an out-of-body experience or she was dreaming or something, but that is not the yeah. direction it went. <laughs> there was a lot of rewinding in that first, in that last episode. Yeah. Everyone was so chill about it. Like the doula? Like, <laughs> what? This goes against everything in the natural world, and you're kind of like, well, I got to get this baby born and then not care about it anymore. Like, no one cares about this? I mean, in a weird way, though, aren't we kind of just... Dis- isn't that kind of like, you know, we're desensitized to everything going on around us. It's, it's all in YouTube shorts and stuff like that now. So, like, you just go about your day anyways. <laughs> I, th- I think that also served the theme about, like, reality versus reality TV. Of these people are known to you as people making a television series. So, if you walk up on them doing something outrageous, you might not immediately assume that they're in peril. Well, it's like the guy at the very, very the last sequence. This this is for TV. Yeah, the yeah. guy's from HGTV. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like if you have real problems, well, the public isn't going to care because all you are to them is your TV show. So I've, I've seen some people say that this show is also about being a comedian or being a comedian with depression because you might be telling people, I am depressed and I need help, but... All they want to hear is your jokes. All they want is to laugh and feel good. And if you're not doing that, then you're no good to them. The famous Pagliacci story. (laughs) I kind of of felt like Kara a little bit also, while she was an artist, I think she also somewhat represented comedians in the way that she was talking about that in order to make my art, I have to cut off pieces of myself. Well, what do most stand-up comics talk about? They talk about their personal lives, whether they're imagined or not, but you know, they're cutting off pieces of themselves in order to trade for fame. Man, that, that sequence in the TP with the with the deli slicer. Incredible. And they couldn't they couldn't keep or Whitney couldn't keep it to herself, right? Mm-hmm. Like the one thing you were asked to do. I think may- maybe the most laugh out loud moment of the show for me was when the the president of the Pueblo went in. And he, he just stares Kara down and is like, all right, that's it. Uh, okay. <laughs> and moves on like, oh, that's your bit? Okay, gotcha. But see, like, you heard screaming all the way up. And it's like, oh, now I know what the screaming is about. <laughs> Turkey. <laughs> the deli slicing. Uh, you want that Mike's way? I really liked Kara, but I, like, it's kind of like, I, 
it's like I'm not cultured enough to understand modern art, but it's kind of like where he's like, wait, so she just took these things from places and then put them in like a grid. And that's like, that's what it is. Like, that's the art piece. Like, but she didn't even make any of this. Like, she just stole it. I feel like that's a lot, a lot of like, I don't get the art pieces of a lot of like modern art or performance art stuff. I'm like, I don't get the. I think some of it is bullshit. I don't get it. Like when people just throw paint on it or they get a paint bale and they just spin it on a string in a circle. And then it's like, yep, this is, uh, this is the thing. I think that some of it is bullshit. I think some of it is like exactly that. But I think that there's other art like Jackson Pollock, like the first one to do all the crazy lines and stuff. Like those pieces are very cool to see in in a museum. But like I've seen a billion basically copies of that style on TikToks and shorts, right? So it comes down to like now people can do that stuff on mass scale pretty easily. The guys who did it first or the people who did it first, though, were coming up with something new. Yeah. Man, it's a tough time to be an artist with AI. Isn't the the art, especially like Kara's art or the modern art, isn't it a lot like real estate or really anything else that it it's worth what other people are willing to pay for it. Yes. So it could be shit. It could be completely without value, but as long as there are others who want it, then it has value. Yeah. You always hear it's like a tax haven or something like wealth preservation, basically. I think for a lot of people it is. I do like art though. Museums are awesome. Are you ready to assign a dollar value to the curse? Yes, sir. How many cherry tomatoes (laughs) cultivated with urine and whatever the other ingredients were? (laughs) Well, tell us, Tony, how many cherry tomatoes? (laughs) Uh, Which audience? A general audience? Three. Like, if you don't want the cringe, you are not going to want it. But, I mean, I feel like it was an experience. I feel like every show like this that we go through, it's like, I'm not a better person, but like, it's like, it's better that I've seen it than that I've not seen it. So I don't know. It's hard to general public, a three, and then maybe like a six for like, if you want a new experience with television that you haven't, like, there's not really, yeah, I think did even Christopher Nolan say there's like nothing like this out there. Like definitely never seen anything quite this way before. <laughs> well, how about you, Aaron? I struggle very hard with, this type of cringe. And I think that the more that we kind of explore this style of comedy, that I I really struggle not having someone to, I guess, root for or confide in or like enjoy going through the uncomfortable situations. And so at the same time though, I'm definitely someone who can thoroughly enjoy commentary on social aspects things that are going on in our, you know, culture and society. And the show does have a, in my opinion, like a very heavy amount of that throughout. And I am a huge fan of surrealism and the ending is very, very fascinating and weird and great. But I'd probably say that overall I give the show a five, mainly because I don't know that I would recommend it to anyone. Like you have to have a very niche flavor to enjoy the curse and you have to know that you (laughs) that you enjoy like 
cringe comedy. You have to enjoy shows about the worst people on earth and you have to enjoy, you know, surrealism. I think that it is very Nathan Fielder and it is very much dry, cringe, slow burn. And for what they are doing, they are masters of it. Yeah, I definitely spent a, a quite a bit of the show watching the show while doing other things because I just <laughs> could not directly look it in the eye. I did text Jay. I was like, how did Aaron get through this show? definitely from like episode five forward like five was a turning point there was a huge amount of like i honestly the first couple of episodes i was like okay a little bit of cringe here a little bit of cringe there some comedy here but there's like a moment like i want to say it's episode five or four it's a good day i think it's that one that's where everything takes a hard hard cringe turn and it doesn't really let up is that where, like, the couple that was actually going to buy the house, they kind of chased them off? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll give him a stone so, of ten. Everyone's performance. That's what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. Like, I, I can't say a bad thing about anyone's performance. The the pr- production, cinematography, the camera work, the, the everything is so good. I just really struggle with this style of comedy. And so that's why it, it sits at a five for me. All right. And, Tony, was that a six for me? Uh, if you split my three and six, what is that? A four and a half. Okay, you can round up to five. That's we'll go to the six. Go to the six side of uh, the median. All right. So we got fives from Aaron, five from Tony. For me, this show made me think a lot about a a piece that appeared in Variety that I sent to the show show group chat a while ago, and it was it was. Our Lord and Savior, Damon Lindelof, talking about Twin Peaks. And what the headline was, was it was transmitting at exactly my frequency. And basically he goes on to say, maybe this isn't for you, maybe this isn't for everyone, but this is what makes me tick. This is exactly what I I like. And that's what the curse was for me here. The social commentary blended with the the blurring of lines between reality and scripted, the you know the setting in a place that's exotic in its normalcy. I loved, and then that surrealistic ending that just keeps coming back in my mind. I can't stop thinking about it. This show was transmitting on my frequency and I loved it. So this is going to be nine cherry tomatoes for me. Uh, So if you boys will vamp for a second, I can tell you where that lies. Well, you know, I'd say nine cherry tomatoes. You've got like a whole club yourself there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That gives us a composite score of 6.3 repeating. Not bad. You know what scene was absolutely heartbreaking? is when they had that lovely moment trying to get the sweater off of Whitney and then she turns into an Instagram video. I was like, oh my God. Like, Yeah. I just, that caused me emotional damage. Emotional damage. (laughs) And and, uh, I just want to confirm, you're absolutely right. Constance Shulman was Patty Mayonnaise and Doug. That's what I'm talking about. 100%. Ain't no doubt. It's so unique of a voice. How could you be wrong? 
I honestly, it's funny. I did not even think about it, but I've recognized her voice from other stuff. Yeah, she was in Orange is New Black. Mm-hmm. Well, shall we figure out what we're watching next? Yes. Let us approach the wheel of randomonium. Let me get that up on the screen. So for anybody who might be new to the show, uh, this is the part where we pick out the show for next time. Each one of us nominates a show. We put it onto a random wheel, and it tells us. Alrighty. Well, I will start. Um, I am bringing Scavenger's Reign, which is a uh, Max HBO Max. I don't know what it's called anymore. Uh, original animation. It looks really interesting. I have avoided really watching anything about it because this is kind of a, you know, completely different twist, different turn on, I think, some type of post-apocalyptic artwork uh, animation show. So I wanted something different, just a complete palate cleanser, especially after the heavy dose of cringe that we just went through. So uh, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Um, Tony, what have you got? I've got the Mr. and Mrs. Smith TV show on Amazon Prime. It's going to have Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. That's how I pronounce this treat in Lubbock. I don't know if it's Erskine or Erskine. Uh, (laughs) But looks like it's a TV show, kind of like a reimagining of the movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Looks pretty fun. Excellent. Jay? I have nominated The Woman in the Wall. Uh, This is a a Showtime drama series. It's something my mom would watch. It's a British cop show. (laughs) But to to give a little hint to what might be coming in a couple of episodes' time, the synopsis might sound a little familiar. Uh, Lorna wakes up to find the dead body of a woman in her house, and she has a long history of trauma-based sleeping, sleepwalking. So she doesn't know if she killed the woman or not. Mm. Mm. Well, here we go. Let's shuffle it up and spin. The woman in the window in. in the house across the street from the woman. I know. This is a sequel. <laughs> Let's spin the McConaughey wheel. All right, 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 all right. And it is Mr. and Miss Smith. Oh, my. It's been a minute since I've won one, actually. Childish Gambino. We'll see if it's any good. I I like the movie. I remember the movie being a fun time. It's a fun time. That's what I remember. So I can only imagine this is also going to be a fun time. And Amazon's not afraid to throw some money behind something. So this one, the kind of the vibe I got is it kind of feels like they know. Like, the movie, they don't really know. Like, they find out that each other are spies. The trailer made it seem like they kind of know that they're spies. Are recruited together. Yeah. So, it might be end up being pretty different on the story. Well, very cool. I am very excited to watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith and then come back and talk to you guys about it. So, don't fly away. Very good. <laughs> All right. I want to... I want to thank the two of you for joining me for this lovely episode of the show show. Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aaron. Absolutely. Until next time, I will be seeing you in the trees. I just finished watching the uh, Nathan Fielder show. Uh, the one with uh, the Emma curse. Stone? It looks really good. I would love to talk to you guys about TV. <laughs>